We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to the Brooklyn Buzz. I'm your host, Nick Faye. With me, as always, Jack Manuel. Jack, what's up? Nets season preview time. It's here. It's finally here. The season's approaching. We're right here. We're going to dive deep into this upcoming year. Obviously, big expectations, big talk, big players. As always, though, quick reminder, you can find us on iTunes, Blog Talk Radio, OGGBasketball.com, Google Play, Dash Radio, YouTube, and NetsRepublic.com. But, Jack, before we dive into some of the dynamics of this season, what are the top storylines for this upcoming year, you know, for the entire season? Uh, there's a lot to keep in mind. Let's uh, let's hopefully uh, we have very intelligent fans, so hopefully they can fit all this in. Um, how will the China trip affect the the team's early season form? Um, and then with that, the China debate and how it's lingering. Obviously, uh, it was already present last night at the preseason game with the, a few activists there and, and Kyrie responding. Uh, a really nice answer from Kyrie, by the way. Really really impressed with him um, and just everything he's done with the media so far. The court and the lighting was a bit of a, a thing as well, so that might linger too. Uh, the Prince contract extension, whether that happens, whether that doesn't happen, we've seen a few guys get their extensions. You know, Buddy Hield's obviously a little bit discontent with things in Sacramento. Uh, the Wilson Chandler saga, the PED saga, Rodion's Courant saga as well with the domestic violence case. Um, everything that pertains to Kyrie and KD, whatever they do on online or whenever they have a quote, you know, it's going to be news. Uh, the battles between the centers, uh, Spencer's contract is in the cryptocurrency that I have no idea about, but there is still ongoing debate with him and the, the, the NBA owners and heads and what's happening there. And then probably the main one, or one of the, one of the other main ones that's sort of been lingering that I spoke about last week on JBT as well, is can Karras be that third side? Can he really step up? Yeah, yeah, I mean, you pretty much nailed every single thing. I mean, I have some of the similar ones. Obviously, Kyrie's situation, his leadership, his happiness throughout the year. You know, he looks extremely happy to be with the Nets. Is that something that's going to continue the entire four years he's in Brooklyn? 
KD's return is going to be a, something talked about, especially when 2020 starts. You mentioned Karis LeVert's jump. I think the power forward rotation is going to be something that's very crucial as well. You know, the rest of the young guys in the roster from Rodion, Samusa to Allen to Prince taking another step forward. Then how the team reacts to dealing with new expectations, you know, going into actual pressure season last few years, it just wasn't that way. You know, if they didn't make the playoffs, it wasn't a big deal. There's expectations for this team to be very good. Now, also, uh, Kenny's coaching, and that's kind of similar to the pressure situation. He has very good players. In the past, he was getting the best out of guys that maybe weren't the, the top NBA players, but now he has at least one for this season, and Kyrie Irving being potentially a top 10 player to work with. So it's going to be interesting how uh, Kenny reacts to dealing with different guys. Yeah, I think Kenny in the GM survey was ranked relatively highly by the GMs as a, one of the top coaches in the league. And it's funny how that works because, you know, Brad Stevens wasn't even voted, but yeah, the year before he was ranked as the best coach in, in the league. So obviously you take that with a grain of salt, but uh, plenty of stuff for fans to watch out that just isn't on the court. You know, we mentioned a few on-court things, obviously. You probably mentioned more of them, Nick. I'm, I'm more of the, the TMZ sort of dude. I like what's <laughs> happening behind the scenes. I love me quotes. I love tweeting all that sort of stuff. Um, but there is just so much that pertains to this team. You know, we are, you know, the, the ESPN games are going to be there. The, the spotlight is already on us, you know, and it all begun. And it's all begun in the preseason. It's all begun in free agency. Once you get those stars, um, you get the spotlight. And um, hopefully, you know, we, we shine in it and uh, we don't, you know, dwindle and we don't, you know, shy away from it. 100%. And I think even just two that popped in my head is like, how does the team style change? You know, we had this certain way with the team last year, extremely likable. Now it's a different group of guys. You already kind of feel some of the hate coming towards the Nets. And then also, you know, the battle in New York. I know the Nets don't necessarily care about it, but the fans do. And obviously the Nets probably being a substantially better team this season. How does that impact the city and the fan bases? But let's talk expectations for the Nets this year. What would be a successful season? We'll give our predictions later, but what do you think the Nets organization is expecting out of this unit? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to speak generally, Nick, because I think we'll, we'll get to specifics throughout the pod, but I think the, needs, the Nets need to be better in all areas of the floor mm -hmm. because we've spoken about, you know, you spoke about expectations in, in general and, and how the Nets deal with it. But looking at this roster, there is increased talent compared to last season. But, and I guess in terms of that, there was an embedded, really solid chemistry from the unit last year. And for me, what, what I think, and I heard um, Jeff Van Gundy say this on the, the Zach Lowe podcast as well, is that talent should beat chemistry. But with a team like the Brooklyn Nets that don't have, you know, Kobe Bryant and Shaquille O'Neal, where there could be, you know, friction within the chemistry. But there is Kyrie, there is KD, where there could be elements of within leadership and chemistry and that sort of thing. How much talent do, how much does talent outweigh chemistry? I think chemistry got us probably three, four, five wins um, that we probably shouldn't have got last season. Whereas this year, does that happen again? You know, we, we have the talent on the board. Um, how much of a jump... Does the talent that we've added in, does Torian Prince over Alan Crabb, does Kyrie Irving over D'Angelo Russell, does DeAndre Jordan over Ed Davis, does all these pieces, the Garrett Temple over a Jared Dudley, how much do these guys in terms of an increase over the roster that we had provide us, you know, an extra couple of wins or does do things stay the same because, you know, the chemistry isn't as outstanding, the culture takes maybe a slight step back, um, that, for me, is the expectation. I expect us to be better on both ends of the floor because our players are better, but the chemistry could be worse, which could affect that sort of synergy on both ends of the floor at the same time. Yeah, no, it's an excellent point, Jack. Obviously, the talent has improved. And then you're hoping the chemistry, 
is working itself out. I heard Garrett Temple on an interview mention that, you know, this is, feels like a team that's been together for a couple years, the way they're interacting and having all these team events. You know, it's KD, Kyrie has been uh, hosting some team dinners, getting everybody together, even before the season started. And, you know, I think the China trip might have a physical uh, impact, a negative physical impact on the Nets, but it could have a positive impact on the chemistry because they spent so much time together and they really dealt with an extremely weird situation that teams don't usually have to deal with. Yeah, I think that, you know, we heard LeBron have his comments. Kyrie made his comments last night, which I thought were were really thoughtful and, and, and really honest and measured, but probably aren't going to um, aren't gonna be the, the, the response that a lot of NBA Twitter was sort of hoping for. But yeah, I think that there can be positives taken from everything that's happened so far in the preseason. Um, I think the last preseason matchup against the Toronto Raptors, a lot of fans were a bit hyperbolic in their reactions. You know, I think the number one thing that you take out of a preseason matchup is that if there are no injuries, then awesome. You know, Kyrie got through it scot-free. We've got Karras getting through it scot-free. There are no injuries from the, the affair. You know, if you look at like, you know, New Orleans with Zion Williamson and, and some other teams that have had some injury niggles throughout the preseason, you would much rather be in the Brooklyn Nets sort of box seat right now. And I think as well, you look to the most recent matchup, you sort of talked about the, the China sort of matchups, Nick. You know, there's going to be obvious jet lag there. You know, we've seen teams that have done the international trips really sort of not necessarily struggle. Struggle might be too strong, but we're going to use it anyway. Struggle to get into gear into in the starting points of the season, whereas, you know, the Toronto Raptors, they're a, the continuation of their roster. You know, they've lost, obviously, Kawhi and Leonard, but the pieces that they've necessarily added have been fringe rotation piece plays like, you know, Rondé Hollis-Jefferson. They're reintegrating a guy like OG Ananobi. So their synergy is there with a lot of those guys. You know, Marcus Sol still there, Serge Ibaka, Kyle Lowry, Pascal Siakam. Whereas the Nets are trying to figure out, you know, seven new players, all these sort of guys, and how does it all work together? You've only got a couple of preseason matchups to figure out and a bit of training camp. You know, the early points of the season, I think, Maybe that's another storyline I probably should have mentioned. Obviously, it relates in general to the China stuff, but can the Nets get off to a good start and how does that affect, you know, everything within the locker room and everything going forward? But yeah, it's certainly one to, to keep an eye on. And just to throw my expectations in there, like Jack mentioned, being a better team on both ends of the floor, I think you want to be competing for home court. Doesn't necessarily mean you need to lock it, but you need to be in contention for that spot. And I think ideally when you bring in a player of Kyrie's caliber and your results last season, you're looking to win a playoff series. I think that's an expectation when you have the talent like this. You're trying to make growth. Sean Marks is talking about getting better every day and getting better is, you know, having success in the playoffs. But talking the offseason, which has been was one of the best offseasons in that series, arguably the best one ever, play. We got Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, DeAndre Jordan, Torian Prince, David Nwaba, Wilson Chandler, Garrett Temple, Theo Pinson was re-signed, Nicholas Claxton drafted, Jalen Hand, they drafted his right, Henry Ellison on a two-way contract, and then we know Karis Avert got his extension. There was a, a lot of names there, my friends, uh, but a lot of them I, I think are really positive. You know, we've seen... You know, some some glimpses from guys like David Noir, but David Noir probably last on the preseason matchup was probably one of the more promising signs other than, you know, Kyrie getting into a little bit of a groove and, and showing off some of the, the some of the stuff that he can do. Um, you know, Wilson Chandler's had his moments. Garrett Temple, I think, has shown that he's going to be a valuable rotation piece. You know, all the names that we've added, it seems to me that the the Sean Mark still values high quality, high character guys. Um, but he values guys that can contribute on and off the floor uh, at the same time. So despite the the losses of, you know, Jared Dudley, Ronald Hollis, Jefferson, Ed Davis, you know, some of our favorites, Alan Williams as well, going to China, owning some big bucks over there. You know, there is some some talent that has been re-added. Obviously, you know, basketball is a funny sort of sport. And for me, 
chemistry might not be the number one thing, but when you're spending, you know, six months of a year with these sort of guys on and off the court, hotel rooms, you know, plane rides, and then you spend those 48 minutes on the floor with them as well, how it all gels night to night, game to game, uh, I think is incredibly important. I think you can put things aside. And I think, you know, we'll have nights where, you know, last season, D'Angelo Russell just dragged us across the line through his talent alone. And I think Kyrie Irving certainly has that ability as well. I think he'll do that probably more so in the early points of the season too. Um, I think he's really going to want to make a, a point to, to those around him, a point to his teammates, a point to guys like Kevin Durant, and a point to, to the national media and such, because I think that there is going to be some more, there is a few more ESPN names uh, in the locker rooms already. We're seeing, you know, Malika Andrews, all these sort of people. So the Nets are getting that national coverage. Um, so obviously all these names are, are wonderful, Nick, and we're hoping that, you know, we can gel sooner rather than later so we can get up to a good start and get a good seed and a good playoff matchup like you were sort of alluding to. Jack, what would you say has been the most surprising out of all these players since they signed? You know, Torian Prince, three-point shot, David Nawaba's hustle, Claxton's ability to play possibly already at this level. What's been the biggest surprise to you so far? Um, I'm probably surprised a little bit at David Nwaba's offensive skill set. Um, I think that if we're comparing, you know, the natural sort of comparison that we make is to a guy like Trevion Graham because, you know, he's a defensive guy that can hit some shots and, you know, do a little bit of offense. But David Nwaba has some stuff. And I, I think in terms of his confidence, um, I, I like his confidence. And it's something that, you know, I did a little bit of a defensive breakdown for him, for com, but I didn't look at much at his offense. And I, I kind of like what he's got. I like his confidence. Sometimes, you know, you can have that sort of irrational confidence at times. You know, I think, you know, you'd rather, I think you would rather be too confident in your skill set than be timid as a basketball player. And there were times where I think, Trevion showed a, a, a bit of a timid nature at times. He wouldn't take the shots. He wouldn't, you know, push the push the pace in, in offense and transition. Whereas I think David Nwaba has this sort of, you know, confidence in his own skills and to make an impact out there and to really get some minutes. So for me as a low-key guy, I'm, I'm liking David Nwaba. I don't think it's going to be a really consistent sort of 82-game season for him. And I think, you know, he's going to be the natural probably sort of whipping boy uh, for a lot of fans, you know, we don't have Rondell Hollis Jefferson anymore. There's no Trevion Graham. So the Nets fans are going to have to latch onto someone. I think David Nwaba seems like a likely candidate for that. Um, but I love, I've liked what I've seen from him so far. There have been moments where he's played some, you know, done some things a little bit reckless. But I think that's something you take with, you know, the, a guy who has shown some confidence on both ends of the floor. Some of his defense is insane. You know, a seven-foot wingspan for a guy who's 6'5", and he's got some nice hops about him too. So uh, he surprised me a little bit. I really like David Nwaba. Yeah, and I was actually doing the NBA at previous series. We were talking to uh, one of the Cavs guys, and they mentioned that, you know, Nets fans are going to love Nwaba because of all the things you mentioned and him just playing so hard. And being reckless is just kind of part of his game because he just plays so hard all the time. But for me, I think uh, Torian Prince's three-point shot has looked very good. We knew he was a good three-point shooter, but it is just a sweet stroke. And we've kind of talked about this off-air before. You feel confident when you're shooting that. Like, you almost feel like he's going to make it every time. Yeah, I think that it's weird. I'm what from watching games and just like a general sort of mindset that I have. It's weird. I feel more confident with Toy and Prince having the ball in his hands than Joe Harris because Joe Harris seems to miss sometimes the easy ones, whereas Toy and Prince just has been hitting everything. Like if you would go through his preseason numbers from three, I remember the first couple of games he missed like four shots from three after taking like you know twelve or thirteen shots. He was been lights out, and you know his mechanics are insane. He gets it off quickly. 
Um, it, it's really good to, to have two really, really credible um, guys from the area that can really hit the three-point shot because, you know, it's important for Coach Kenny's system. And, you know, Alan Crabb was supposed to be that guy. Unfortunately, he couldn't. Uh, but a guy like Torian Prince and Joe Harris who are likely to start when we get to rotation talk and uh, a bit of status talk, you know, it's only going to make things easier for the offense. It's a great point, too. And not only do they bring in someone that's a great three-point shooter, but he has a different, you know, body type than Alan Crabb, too. So it provides, you know, Kenny a little bit more versatility. And, if you know, Joe Harris and Prince are both able to become very, very good three-point shooters. It's just going to open up so many things for the Nets, especially when Durant's back. But we'll talk about that a little bit more later. Talking to Parchers, obviously, D'Angelo Russell, Damari Carroll, Jared Dudley, Ed Davis, Rondé Hollis-Jefferson, Alan Williams, Alan Crabb, Trevion Graham, Shabazz Napier. Other than D'Lo... Which player would you like to see that you wish the Nets were able to retain and actually fit with this current roster? Um, that's a tough one, Nick. Um, I mean, for me, it's probably one of the vet guys, you know, a Dudley or a Davis. You know, I think Davis would have... I, I, I've an irrational love for a guy who can just rebound the ball, but obviously you have a guy, DeAndre Jordan, who's one of the best of it at it as well. So you're placing almost a like-for-like like in that specific skill set. Um, but yeah, even Shabazz Napier, I think, is a nice sort of third guard. But, you know, our guard rotation is pretty damn deep as it is now. And we have a lot of guys who can run the floor with it as well, with Musa um, showing some nice things in the preseason too. Um, I think I'm going to touch on D'Lo just a little bit. Um, obviously, he's one of my... Yourself. Could not. Could <laughs> not at all. Like, if, if, if you mention D'Angelo's name, I'm going to talk about him at least somewhat. You know, it's like Karis LeVert with yourself or Joe Harris mm -hmm. as well. But... I've really, it's 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 really nice to see DeAndre Russell getting this almost national spotlight now that he's on, you know, one of the marquee teams. You know, I'm seeing him in NBA ESPN sort of highlights on Twitter. Um, I'm getting no notifications about every single little thing that he does from Bleacher Report. He would get that in very small doses when he was in Brooklyn. So it's nice to sort of see him get the kudos that he deserves. Um, he's still doing his thing. So massive, a massive shout out to D'Angelo Russell. Um, I, I wish we, it would have been fun to have Kyrie and D'Lo, you know, Karras and, and Spencer in the, in the lineup. That would have been absolutely insane. Um, but, you know, you can't have everything you want in life, but I'm, I'm happy with what we've got right now. But massive shout out to D'Angelo Russell. Um, and he's going to do some nice things and him and, uh, Stephen Curry already showed that in their last preseason matchup where they combined for 61 points and there was some nice off-ball movement. Um, Golden State Warriors are going to be probably, it's funny, one of my second favorite teams to watch this season. Yeah, I think also Golden State's just, you know, went to becoming more likable again because they're not necessarily the favorites to just dominate the league. So it'll be more fun to watch D'Lo for sure. And he has gotten some nice notoriety around the league. It almost feels like people are respecting him more that he's not on the Nets, but we'll save that for another day. Um, I would say, you know, for me, it would be between like Damari Carroll or Jared Dudley because it'd be somebody you could give you power forward minutes. And Carroll would probably be more on court and Dudley would be more for the locker room, which obviously we mentioned having so many new players, having a vet in there that can kind of bring everybody together would be ideal. It seems like they're okay right now, but Dudley would be a nice little like cushion for them to have. Now we mentioned starters, Jack. Who's your opening night starting lineup? Yeah, I think I'm going to go. Uh, okay. Um, I'm going to have to lock something in here. Well, okay. So if we go from the last preseason matchup where it was Kyrie Irving, Joe Harris, um, Karis LeVert, Torian Prince, and Jared Allen. That for me is what I would have as the starters. Though literally, if you we would have been doing this podcast a week ago and after one of the, the Lakers matchups, I would have had DeAndre Jordan supplanting um, Jared Allen as the starting center. 
it's it's really hard and, and kenny has already sort of said that you know he's also he sees it like a center by committee he doesn't see there being a battle like we've sort of said um but both of these guys provide different skill sets and i think on night to night basis you, you you've got two quality starting caliber centers at their position and deandre does look re-engaged um, i'm really like jared allen's defense and a little bit more of his confidence in that sort of end of the floor too but I don't know. What do you think, Nick? Is it DeAndre or is it Jarrett? Uh, honestly, I'm not sure at this point either. And it's interesting to see what Kenny does. If he goes with one guy, is that going to be the guy that he sticks with the entire season? Or is he going to kind of flip-flop these, you know, first couple weeks to figure out which rotation works better? I mean, it's just so tough because I think there's pros and cons to each guy. Obviously, Jordan's going to give you better rebounding, more physicality. Jared Allen's going to give you more mobility and more switchability. But going small, you might prefer to have the physicality and rebounding. If not, you're depending on, you know, uh, Karis, Avert, Torian Prince, Joe Harris to really get active on the board. So it's going to be a kind of a pros and cons thing. And it could be based off matchup. Like, I wouldn't be completely surprised. I'm not a big fan of, like, changing your starting lineup every matchup, but it could work. Yeah, I think that it's it's so tough. And obviously, it's such an important position for the Nets in terms of you know, grounding everything offensively within the pick and roll and defensively protecting the rim. Um, uh, our guess is uh, as informed as we can probably be. I literally, just because, for the sake of it, we'll see how much traction it sort of gets. But I, I had to put out a poll. I'm literally, as you were sort of speaking, Nick, I'm like, who's starting on opening night? Is it DeAndre? Is it Jared? So by the end of this pod, you know, maybe the, the fans have spoken for us and, and they can give us a little more insight. I guess if I'm making my final call, I'll go with Jared. Like, I just okay. think, you know, because he started the last preseason game, it would make the most sense to go with it with your starting lineup on opening night, the last preseason game, trying to get some chemistry for those guys. And obviously, the Nets want to see him grow. But also, it could be a situation like last year where there was times that Ed Davis played more minutes than Jared Allen just because it was a better matchup for him. But talking rotation-wise, what do you see as a second unit? Yeah, I mean, the second unit, is a, it's a tough one, Nick, but obviously Spencer Dimwitty probably heads it. Obviously, one of Jordan or Allen, and then Rodion's Kuritz with Temple. But then the other sort of guys that I think can sneak in for minutes are going to be Musa, Claxon, and Nawaba. And right now, it seems to me, at least, looking from, if we're looking at last night's matchup as sort of a, a, a blueprint, that Nawaba is probably at the head of that, at least at this point in time, you know. He was probably getting some second unit minutes ahead of Musa. Musa came in late, as did Claxton, um, with guys like Ellenson and Pinson too. But it's nice to have that luxury. I, I think that the quality of our depth is is still quite good. It might not be as amazing as last season. I think that, you know, when you're looking at depth, you want to have quality depth and you want to have chemistry in that second unit. And I think that having Spencer Dimony there does give you a lot of confidence, as does a guy like Jordan or Allen. Um so for me, you know, I think Musa can certainly push for minutes, but given his preseason, uh, sort of not heroics, but his sort of exploits so far. And Claxton has shown some nice glimpses. I think that he's going to be doing a lot of things in Long Island. Um, but if we're able to get an injury or, you know, there's going to be, you know, some issues at the power forward like we've sort of spoken about, why not throw Nick Claxton out there? Because he has some confidence. He's a young kid. And I think that when you have that sort of, you know, just youth and exuberance about you, it can provide a lot of energy for the team. Um, but yeah, Musa and Nawaba and, and Claxton, those guys are the sort of the 10th guy, the guys fighting for the for the 10th man in the rotation because we know Co Coach Kenny isn't going to go deeper than 9 or 10. Yeah, and I really like you bringing up Musa and uh, Nawaba. I think that's going to be a battle all year. 
and it's completely different games. You're looking at, you know, Musa being an offensive player, the ability to play, make, knock down a three wall. Nawab has shown some things offensively, but his strong point is defense and hustle. And obviously Musa struggles with the defensive end. So it's going to be interesting to keep an eye on. And I think Nick Claxton will end up getting minutes this year because essentially if Jared Allen or DeAndre Jordan miss time, he's a third center. So, like, they're going to have to play him probably at certain points. If it was just even a rest game for DeAndre, Claxton will have an opportunity to grab some minutes. Yeah, and I think that that will be a good thing for him. Uh, mm-hmm. I think that it's going to be, obviously, you're not going to want to throw him into the to the Sharks, like, you know, give him 25 minutes uh, in that matchup where you see DeAndre or Jared out. You know, you would likely, more likely increase the minutes for, for Jared and DeAndre, give them 30, 31, 32, and then you give Claxton, you know, 15, 16 sort of minutes, you know, to sort of make up the rest of it. But I think that with what we've seen in the preseason is probably maybe even exceeded some people's expectations. I wasn't, I think that after speaking to Dalton on the sort of draft pod, I'm doing, you know, looking at some of his video, I was always confident that this kid could play. And I think that the Nets got another steal, as Sean Marks tends to do in, in the latter areas of the, the first round and earlier areas of the second round. So I'm really happy with Claxton. Yes, we've heard the Chris Bosch comparisons. I think it's easy to make comparisons. You know, we're comparing Ja Moran to a hybrid of De'Aaron Fox and, and Russell Westbrook now. Let's let these kids be themselves. And um, I remember I posted something on the JBT Facebook page. Make sure you give that a follow as well, guys. Um, that, you know, Kobe Bryant was, went scoreless in the a, in a first few games of his. And I'm like, let's just temper expectations on rookies. Let them be themselves. Let them grow. Um, and I think Nick Claxton is going to have the perfect environment to do that in, in Brooklyn. Jack, who do you think would be the small ball center? You know, obviously we know Kenny's going to do some lineups that don't include a true center. Who do you think will play some small ball center minutes this year? I think that the most likely candidate for me, Nick, would probably be Rodion Skrutz. Yep. Um, I think that he has, we've seen him in person and we were sort of surprised about the height that he has. You know, he's a guy who's probably maybe just that little bit shorter than Kevin Durant. Um, and, you know, you could probably, I saw um, moments in the preseason, you know, in China when we were battling against uh, the Lakers that Toy and Prince was guarding Anthony Davis in the post. And there were times where Anthony Davis had his lunch, but there were times where Toy and Prince got some steals on him, you know, forced some turnovers. Uh, so I think Toy and Prince is the other sort of guy, but I think he still lacks um, that just general height about him. He is, you know, a, a small ball four. So playing him at a small ball five would be almost, you know, you know, incomprehensible in a way. But, you know, when you've got a guy like Draymond Green, who is apparently now six foot five, then maybe you could do it. But for me, Redlands could seem like the most likely candidate for it. Um, and I think that outside of that, there aren't probably a lot of guys, you know, even people are speaking about David Nwaba playing up at the four position. But I'm pretty comfortable with him playing a two and a three, even though he is six foot five. Sometimes you need to have that height. You don't want guys just shooting over you in that sort of sense. So for me, it's Kuritz, and I think that that's probably the only guy I would like to see it anyway. Yeah, I think Rodion's would probably be a guy you'd look at. You mentioned Torian Prince. Wilson Chandler maybe be someone to consider if he's back or if it's the rumor is that Lance Thomas is going to be signed for the stretch he's suspended. He'd be a guy you could probably play at small ball center as well. Yeah, exactly. So, I like I like the Rodion's pick though, and it'll be interesting because they could throw out a lineup that was like Kyrie, Joe Harris, Karis LeVert, Torian Prince, and Rodion's, and that would just be a ton of fun. But moving on from there, who are the breakout players for the Nets this year? Who's the guy that you think is going to take another big step in their game? We expect a lot of guys to take possibly small steps, but who's going to take another big step? I'll throw something for you, Nick, and I think that this is probably a fun exercise. It's three guys. It's Torian Prince, Jared Allen, and Karis LeVert. Um, Obviously, all those guys have youth on their side, um, and they're looking to make some sort of a splash. 
Rank those three in terms of who is most likely to break out. Obviously, all these guys should take improvements and we would be disappointed if they don't. But who's going to take the biggest improvement? Who's going to solidify themselves in the sort of, you know, Torian Prince is going to get a nice contract, be a nice two-way player. Jared Allen really cements himself as that starter and, you know, starts to push himself into the, one of the better defensive sort of centers in the conversation. And then you've got Karis Levert. Can he solidify himself as that third star? If you're ranking those three in terms of breakout ability, a word that I've probably just made up, um, who would you probably have one to three? Yeah, I think you definitely have Karis first because he's the guy out of the group that can make that all-star jump. From what we saw in the postseason last year, he can really take a stride that's going to change the Nets and change their future possibly with the contract that he's on. And it's really tough between Prince and Allen. I mean, looking at it from both sides, it might be Torian Prince because he just is going to have a bigger opportunity because the Nets almost need someone to step up more at that forward position or the center position. You know, we have DeAndre Jordan, so Jared Allen isn't going to be pushed to be playing extra minutes or going outside of his comfort zone where Torian Prince is going to be playing so much and having the possibility of, like, locking down that spot. I think he could take a bigger jump this year. Not to say I don't think Jared Allen could take a big jump. I just think there's a bigger jump available for Torian Prince because of the opportunity with the team. Yeah, you took the words right out of my mouth, essentially, Nick. I would, you know, rank them exactly the same. Karis 1, Torian 2, Jarrett 3. I think it's going to be harder for Jarrett to make that impact because of a guy like DeAndre Jordan on the roster. And, you know, we've heard a lot of pundits sort of say that, you know, it could impede his growth, it could impede his development. Um, but we've already sort of seen it from a little bit from him in, in the preseason. Little jumps that he's taken and one thing I've really liked from him and, you know, make sure to check out the player preview series because we'll be talking about the two big guys on that one too. Um, it's just his ability to guard smaller blokes and, you know, he's mm -hmm. eaten up LeBron James on drives, Avery Bradley, these sort of guys. So his ability to get out on the perimeter and then get back into the paint, DeAndre Jordan cannot do that, you know, and I've seen that from watching games. He is literally stationed himself in the paint and a lot of the times that probably gets him caught out because, you know, guys like Marcus Gasol were splashing threes and Serge Ibaka. Um, so I think that that's an area where Jared Allen can really thrive. And I think that actually sets him apart from a lot of centers in this league who can't really sort of move that well laterally and have that sort of lateral athleticism. And I think that is what's also going to help Jared Allen probably land that starting spot because of his ability to be more mobile. And teams are going to play their best players to the starting lineup. And that's usually a point guard who can shoot off pick and rolls or pick and pops. And then you're going to have your center that can shoot threes, usually with a starting lineup. And it would make it a little bit more difficult for DeAndre. But talking to other breakout players, I also could see Yana Musa having a breakout year. There's potential there for him to earn a rotation spot. And Kenny's really talked him up. And Kenny doesn't really necessarily talk up anybody who – doesn't have a you know a big jump it's usually everything he says like hey this guy's worked really hard he looks really good that guy usually does take a jump and it looks like Musa might be that guy yeah I think it certainly will be as well and I think that we'd be remiss not to mention Rodion's Kuroz as well yeah. he's been doing some work in the offseason he looks uh, a little bit stronger a little bit more controlled we've seen some video from him you know on, on the wings on NBA Twitter from guys like Matt Brooks I've really liked what he's done in the offseason he looks more confident a little bit more poised uh, and just in terms of taking that three-point shot, he he looks to be confident in taking it and in, isn't necessarily seem to be worrying about the numbers. Obviously, it is preseason, and when we get to the regular season, our guy's going to be have that same sort of mindset. But right now, he's taking them, and he's making he's making the right calls on, on both ends of the floor. Um, I'm really excited to see what Rodion's and the jump that he can take next season because I think that him and Musa, you know, have all the, the tools to certainly do so. They're incredibly talented kids. Um, and, you know, but the development system uh, within Brooklyn and Long Island has allowed them to sort of thrive in the environment. And, you know, I think we should see some, some nice glimpses from them throughout the year.
Yeah, and Rodion, similar to the Prince situation, the Nets need someone to step up that forward position, and he could be that guy as well. Now, Jack, talking trade rumors for this season, do you expect to hear any rumblings about things around the deadline, any big moves, small moves? What are you thinking? Well, I mean, the Bradley Beal thing is now off the off the list, Nick, because yep. you know he's locked up and he can't be traded until the end of this regular season. And obviously, Bleacher Report was putting things out there that made Nets Twitter almost break and almost you know have a half heart attack or a stroke. But for me, a guy that I would like the Nets to sort of keep an eye on and maybe have some conversations with um, is with the guys in Denver. I think that there is a lot of wings on that roster that the Nets could go after. And I think I've made this guy's name known before, but Juan Hernan Gomez is a guy mm-hmm. that I would love to get on the Nets roster. And I think would almost immediately get some minutes. You know, he's shown talent. He was great at the FIBA World Cup as well for Spain. Um, and I think he's going to be a guy who will really struggle to get minutes, with, especially with Michael Porter coming back. Guys like Malik Beasley, Will Barton, Tory Craig, these sort of wing types, it's going to leave Hernan Gomez relegated to, you know, almost a bench warmer. And, you know, if the Nets can get him for whatever it might be, something lowly and or maybe some sort of piece, then I would absolutely love it, especially before the trade deadline, because I think that that can really give... It's not going to necessarily solve all the problems at the four position, at the wing position, but it certainly gives you an upgrade in talent. So for me, he's a name, and I always speak about, you know, we used to speak about guys like Nikola Meritich and, and getting into those sort of guys. But Hernan Gomez is also a young dude, only in his mid-20s. So for me, that's a name that I would like to keep an eye on, and hopefully the Nets do make a move there. Um, I think Zach Lowe and other guys have sort of spoken about that the Sean Marks has always taken calls. So for me, you know, um, get the Spaniard. I think that he can certainly add something to this Nets roster. Yeah, uh, that's a great pick, Jack. Herman Gomez. And then the whole Denver situation, if it's not him, there is another possibility of one of the other forwards being moved because they just don't have the minutes. And obviously they need to start paying guys in Denver. But I would think someone along the same lines. Like you're looking for probably a four. If they do make a trade, it's not going to be a blockbuster trade but it'll probably at least be some depth at that power forward position. Somebody a little bit maybe more suitable defensively to deal with a real four. Yeah, and I think that we don't have a prototypical four right now. I don't think... I think the four position out of all the positions on the floor has gone to the wayside because you're either yeah. a, you know, a big three or you know a small ball five or whatever it might be. Um, you have to the four position almost is just like a wing position or a, or, a, or a big sort of small ball five trying to play that center position. So, um, but I think that the Nets lack sort of wing depth. You know, we wanted sort of Wilson Chandler, Rodion Skuritz. For me, Torian Prince is the is the best guy there right now. I think a lot of fans have come around to that too, but. You know, you can never go wrong by just adding some extra talent onto the roster. And I think Hernan Gomez can really give us something there. And, you know, there is history with the, the Nets and the Nuggets making a deal with Kenneth Farid and, and the picks and um, all and Darrell Arthur, you know, last you know season, last preseason. So, you know, there is some goodwill, for lack of a better term, there as well. Um, I think that the Nets are always going to be on the move to looking to add additions to their roster. And I think we see Lance Thomas, obviously, he was um, cleared waivers the other night but it seems to me that the the news and the rumblings are that you know he's going to be brought in once you know uh, Wilson Chandler has to um, you know serve his sentence on the for the PED um, sort of scandal not scandal but for the PED infraction that he sort of uh, incurred so it seems to me Lance Thomas could get some minutes as well Um, so we'll have to keep an eye on the power forward rotation which was you know one of the big storylines that we spoke about earlier in the pod. It's a great point, too, and it'll be interesting to see what happens with Wilson Chandler if you know, Lance Thomas does well. Maybe they cut Chandler and uh, keep Thomas for the whole season, or they just cut Thomas when Chandler is ready to go back in. But talking team awards, Jack, who is the Nets MVP next season? It's Kyrie Irving. 
Okay, that's the same thing over here. Most improved on the Nets next season? Uh, it's Toy and Prince. Ooh, I like that. I went with Karis Avert here. Um, I mean, if you didn't go Karis Avert, then I would just be, like, absolutely abhorrently shocked. <laughs> I, and I just, like, I think it's a possibility. I think Torian Prince would probably be my second pick, but I just think Karis's jump is a, just going to be a little bit bigger. Six man, do I even have to ask? Uh, well, it's the guy that I predicted. And I'm going to keep bringing up this prediction from 2017-18, no, 2018-19 preseason until he eventually wins the award. And I'm doing award predictions on JBT today, and I've got Spencer Dinwiddie as my sixth man of the year. Give me Spence. Spoiler. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> defensive player of the year. Obviously, I have Dinwiddie too. Just I didn't need to say it. Yeah. Um, this is a, a, probably an interesting one, because you could probably throw two or three names out there. You could throw Nwaba, you could throw Karis Avert, you could throw Jared Allen. DeAndre Jordan does look engaged on that in the floor. I'm going to go Jared Allen just for pure importance, but I think Karis Avert has the best... Uh, ability to take a jump and make an all-defensive sort of team in terms of getting that national sort of coverage and uh, making one of the sort of team, uh, the NBA sort of awards. But for the Nets specifically, um, the defensive player of the year, I believe, will be Jared Allen. Yeah, I want Karis Avert here. Jared Allen, close second, like you said. You know, his importance at the center position, especially defending the pick and roll, it'll be interesting to see if he can take another step in that area. And then obviously Karis, we're looking, we've seen – a lot of good things from him defensively. Now it's kind of taking it to another level and becoming more consistent. But any other awards you want to talk about or make up? Um, I didn't have anything to make up, but I think that if we're talking, you know, young guy most likely to break out, and I'll throw some names at you. I'll throw Jadon Moussa. I'll throw, you know, Nicholas Claxton and Rodion Skouritz. Who's the guy that you're most excited about to sort of break out? So I guess a Nets breakout player in a similar sort of vein to most improved. I don't think Nick Claxton will have the opportunity this year unless there's an injury or he'd be the guy I'm most excited about because of his skill set. Yeah. And R Rodion's, I don't think, is going to take a major jump this year. I think he – I don't want to say he'll hit a plateau, but I think he's just going to kind of stay around where he's at, obviously okay. dealing with some of the off-the-court stuff. So Musa would be a guy I think that has the potential to really break out. And I haven't necessarily been the highest guy in Musa, but I've been impressed with preseason and with Kenny kind of talking him up and saying he's putting that extra work and really trying to fight for that rotation. And I think just having playmakers and guys that can shoot the three ball in this off offense is so important. Yeah, I think guys just having versatile, versatile skill sets, versatile skill sets um, is just important. And I think, you know, Musa as a big guy who got real opportunities in Long Island to, to play the point and to be a floor sort of general, it's going to impact his skill set and his confidence. And, you know, he can impact the team in a lot of different ways. And I think that that should allow him to get minutes at some point in time. There are going to be injuries throughout the season. So there are going to be minutes seen from the depth on this roster. And I guess when we get to strengths and weaknesses, it's probably a thing that we'll talk about. Well, there's a segue right there. Strengths of this Nets team. Um, I'm not going to say mine because I put this out on Twitter and there was just a ridiculous response. So I'm just going to go through some people's um, so truly cheap guys. Have, strengths. You, what we should do is you should name them. We'll go, we'll go like one by one and then say we agree or disagree. Done. Strengths uh, from truly cheap guy. Everyone buying into the system. Deep bench. Uh, a perception that GM and the coach are solidly behind the players. Yeah, I think that all works. I mean, the early chemistry thing is kind of still up for question because we haven't seen them deal with any adversity in terms of win-loss. So, But the other two, I think this team is deep. Obviously, the connection between Kenny and Sean is very good. It's just the chemistry one, I think, is kind of in hopeful positive, but no guarantee yet. Yeah, definitely. I think that you've uh, hit the nail on the head there. Um, Samal, three, strength, spacing, one-on-one D, creating tur turnovers, covering passing lanes, depth, guards, a system that fits the player's strengths. 
Um, I will agree with some of them, but uh, some of them I definitely disagree with, and I think their areas the Nets are looking to improve, but they're not quite there yet. I think one-on-one defense is not necessarily their best skill. They have potential to be good in that area with certain players, but I still think they need to pick up in that area in certain ways and other guys, you know, even just showing more effort. Yeah, and I think last season, an area Coach Kenny was really frustrated about, and I think that we were in, at, at points we were last in that area, was creating turnovers. Yep. And I think a lot of that is somewhat the system that the Nets play. Like when you're playing a zone sort of defense, it's hard to sort of do that. Uh, covering passing lanes, I think that with a guy like Karis Levert and David Nwaba, the Nets will be really good there. And that should allow us to create turnovers. Um, so I think that we are more uh, more equipped to, to improve on that area of the floor as a defensive sort of squad. But it's certainly not an area that I would say is a strength just yet because we haven't proven it. But all the yeah, other it's ones like, like a potential to be there. But like you said, it's just not quite there yet where we can't be like, hey, this is a strength. By the end of the season, hey, it definitely could be. But right now, I think it's too soon to say a strength. Yeah, definitely. Um, Bishop, uh, the strengths he has are wing depth, shooting, coaching, and the bench. Yeah, I, I guess it depends on uh, how you classify a wing. With now in the NBA, it's almost like you've mentioned this before, like two to four is essentially a wing. I think at, you know, the two spot, they're essentially good. The three spot, they're good. And then when you get down to the four, we're dealing with the bigger wings. I don't think that's a strength until Durant is back. Yeah, I think that it's almost a weakness for me. Um, yeah. Um, tell God um, his shoot, his strength, he had a lot of weaknesses, uh, but his strength was that the Nets could shoot. Yeah, they definitely have some shooters out here. We talked about that and how important in the system, even taking a slight jump in shooting can make this team that much better. Yeah, I think a lot of other guys, including uh, Rike, uh, BK, Bourne and Ray said shooting guard of wing depth. Um, and uh, Anok Davey said depth, length, versatility, system and culture. A versatility to an extent, like I think there's a lot of players that have versatile skill sets. Some of them can't play at multiple positions, some of them can, so I'll give them that. And I think the other two are probably are strengths. Yeah. Uh, Shook on Twitter as well said, uh, power forward rotation that we spoke about, overall depth in the shooting from the wings. I like the shooting thing specifically um, and the ability there from the wings. And then the entire roster has something to prove. I like that as a little tidbit. Yeah, I think it is. I think this team does have a chip on their shoulder. A lot of people question the decision to go to Brooklyn for the big names and also still not being necessarily respected. And even some of the media saying like, oh, this team's going to be essentially the same as last year. Even the over and under in uh, Las Vegas, I think right now is at 42. So it's not like the Nets are getting a ton of respect around the league. No, not at all. And the last one, basketball never stops. Strength shooting slashing and chemistry we haven't really talked about much slashing yet nicholas Ooh, that I, it's a good one too and i think this team is a better slashing team you look at karis avert can be a slasher i think torian prince can be a bit of a slasher david nawaba he'll be driving in obviously Kyrie, one of the best drivers in the league um joe harris does like a little bit but it's more for the bigger athletic guys so uh, i think it's i don't think it's a full-on strength but i think it's an area they improved I think it's an area that could certainly be considered a strength. I think Rodion's Chorus is an amazing cutter and slasher. I think Joe is a good cutter, but I don't know. it depends on what you define cutting and slashing. I think exactly. Slashing sounds a bit more like athletic and flashy, whereas Joe, his ability to cut around the perimeter and get his shots and get some off-ball screens is insane, and obviously because the, the sets are designed for him. And, you know, we saw a lot of times last season D'Angelo feed Joe Harris in transition, feed guys like Torian Prince and Rodion's courts in transition. Can Kyrie continue to sort of, you know, um, keep that as a strength of ours? You know, I certainly don't. I think that that can be the case as well. 
Um, his bounce passing that I've seen from him within the pick and roll so far and just looking at a lot of his video is is really, really good. We might not necessarily have the same chemistry there that allows us to sort of, you know, but if there are guys cutting, you know, Kyrie seems to be like a willing passer. I think it goes um, under the radar because he's just so damn good with the ball in his hand and creating his own shot that he is, you know, a, a more than capable passer. Yeah, I think he's a very good passer. And the thing is, he's such an elite scorer that just gets all the attention. Like, even the highlights in the preseason game, there's just so many highlight plays. That's all you think about. And then when he makes a very good pass, it's like, oh, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, obviously, it's very good for the team, but it's not quite as flashy as the scoring plays, which are you're more likely to remember. Yeah, and Nick, just to, to revisit, because um, already got a little bit of traction on the poll. Uh, most people are, are for Jared Allen at this sort of stage. He's He's got 77% of the vote, and people are sort of vibing his sort of preseason as well with comments that he's gone under the radar throughout the preseason. So people weren't necessarily happy with um, DeAndre Jordan's um, performance last night against the Toronto Raptors, and people want to keep the sort of consistency with Jared Allen. So just a little bit of an update on that one. Yeah, and I think we almost kind of talked ourselves into Jared Allen starting. I think it just makes more sense, especially when you brought up the fact that just DeAndre's just not that mobile. And we need that mobility, especially in this NBA. But getting back to strengths, um, let's talk weaknesses. What do you got, Jack? Yeah, um, I guess I'll go with uh, what the the people have said, Nicholas. Let's get to the people again. Back to Truly Cheap, guys. Uh, There's not enough minutes to go around for the entire team. Uh, Fighting the perception that this is just a throwaway year because of that no Kevin Durant. Yeah, I think the minutes could be an issue, especially for some of the young guys trying to develop. They won't have the same opportunities as years past. Um, Fighting the... Then you know it's a throwaway season with Kevin Durant. I think that's more of an external thing. I don't think internally that's a thought. No, I think internally the, the Nets are, are really motivated to sort of make an impact, and it sort of goes back to the the sort of fighting the mentality of you know proving people wrong. And, and there's a lot of guys that want to prove things, which we spoke about a little bit in the strengths too. Um, weaknesses uh, from Samal three uh, protected the paint area, uh, health, um, and you know outside of that he says that there doesn't uh, seem to be many issues, but. Are you worried at all about the health of guys like Kyrie Irving, Karis Levert, you know, Spencer Dinwiddie's missed games consistently, or is it more that the conservative nature of the, the Nets training staff? Yeah, I think the Nets training staff gives you a little bit more confidence, but I think any team in almost any sport where there's physical contact, like you're worried about injuries. And if guys had prior injuries, they're more likely to get injured again. So there is a little concern. Like it definitely could derail the season, knock on wood. We don't want to see that, but I think they'll be okay. Yeah, I think they'll be all right as well. Kyrie looks to be the healthiest he's ever been um, in, in a long time, which is which is a positive. Um, from Bishop, we had pick and roll defense, post defense, and the four spot. I think that if we were to speak about weaknesses, those would almost be the the, the points that I would have probably taken. Yeah, exactly. And um, I, I just meant to mention this on the last one. Protecting the paint is a weakness to a certain extent. I think it's a weakness when you're asking Jared Allen or DeAndre Jordan to come help and the second guy making the rotation. But in terms of like the first rotation, I think Jared Allen and DeAndre Jordan are very good at protecting the paint. It's just that secondary, uh, yeah. you know, a brim protector, which the Nets don't really have because they don't really have a second four, a real four. So, but um, back to these ones. Sorry, Jack. No, yeah, and the pick and roll defense, I think, is an area that we can improve on. I don't think it's necessarily one of our worst defenses, uh, one of our worst weaknesses, sorry. Post-defense, obviously, when you've got a guy, Jared Allen, who has always struggled against, you know, the likes of Nikola Jokic, Joel Embiid, even Enos Kanter, and the four position. You know, I think the Nets lack quality there, like we've sort of spoken about at length. You know, it was in the storylines, and it's lingered throughout this podcast. Uh, some people see it as the, the fact that we've got a lot of guys there is a good thing, but I think the quality there is is what matters more. 
Yeah, and I think their pick-and-roll defensive scheme almost creates a weakness or, you know, the idea of a weakness because they're just allowing people to shoot mid-range shots, like wide-open yeah. mid-range shots because they don't value that. They want, you know, they want to prevent you from getting to the lane, getting to the rim or the free-throw line, or shooting threes. So if you're going to shoot the elbow jumper, they're not really going to care that much. So it, it kind of comes off as both ways, but I still think there's areas that could be a little bit better, a little bit more effort in that area at times. Yeah, definitely. Um, and Telgod had a lot of weaknesses, so I guess we'll get to these ones. Uh, apparently, the Nets have the worst collection of transition players in the NBA. Uh, I saw that, play- and I don't, let's start with that one real quick, because that's just All not right, true. Yeah. That is just not true. Like, they improved their transition players this year. Like, yeah. Kyrie Irving is a very good transition player. Karis LeVert was out most of last season. He was probably the best transition player on the team. Torian Prince, good transition player. Rodion's a good transition player. Jared Allen, first header, good transition player. Spencer Dinwiddie, he could be better in transition. He doesn't really look to attack enough in that area. We don't really know enough about Musa to say he's a good transition player, but I could see him being solid in that area too. And then obviously when Katie's back, one of the best at everything, so it doesn't really matter transition or half court. Yeah, I think sometimes the Nets can be a bit conservative in, in their nature. And I think having a guy like Kyrie on the roster now – I think we're going to see things outside of a sort of system sort of play that we sort of have seen from the last couple of years under Coach Kenny and Sean Marks. We're going to see, you know, talent and exploits that the likes that we probably haven't seen. You know, we saw a lot of it from DeAndre Russell sort of doing his thing and Karras certainly at points. You know, we have a lot of guys that can do that sort of thing. You know, I think that's just a, a misinformed or just a, a silly take in, in a lot of ways. But I think does, last but- year you think of transition plays and it didn't work out, and this is no disrespect to him, but D'Angelo is not a good transition player. He had a one-on-one and a fast break. You didn't necessarily feel confident he was going to beat his guy one-on-one. Kyrie, one-on-one and a fast break, I'm betting on Kyrie 99% of the time. I will, and he did that already last night. And, you know, and when there was one play... When he gets the ball and he's out in the open court, you know, there was him and I think there was uh, Torian Prince and he's made the perfectly timed pass and Prince just finished the layup. So um, I think that the Nets are going to push the pace hopefully a little bit more this season because for me, it's just more exciting basketball and I think that that you can get easy buckets um, in in that sort of fashion. I think that we do have some athleticism on the roster and Kyrie, despite the fact that, you know, he's not known for his speed. In terms of if you compare him to D'Angelo Russell, like we sort of have been, Nick, he's certainly got a bit more pace and a really nice sort of first step as well. Um, but some of these points, I think, are relatively fair from Telgod. Uh, Nets like players who score in the post, zero physicality, uh, worst power forward rotation in the NBA, uh, and no players who can defend or score on big wings. Now, there is some hyperbole, as Brooklyn Nets 7 uh, did say, uh, but some of these do have some credence. Yeah, uh, you go first, Jack, and I'll base it off of what you say. I yes, want to hear which one you think is which one do you think is the most off or the one that's the most right? Uh, the most wrong is players who can defend or score on big wings. You know, I don't think that you necessarily have to have a guy who is a wing to score on another wing. When you have Kyrie Irving, he's going to get the best defender. He's going to get the Paul George, the Kawhi Leonard, or whatever. And he can score on damn near anyone. Yeah. Karis LeVert can score on damn near anyone because he knows how to create his own space. And I think Karis LeVert could be quite easily considered a guard wing. I call I call them utilities. I like to just, if they're a jack of all trades, for lack of a better term, no pun intended, then <laughs> I think you know, he's a utility. Um, zero physicality, I've made this point known because a lot of people when we speak about them, the Nets and in, in comments that I've sort of got on Twitter physicality doesn't matter in today's NBA. It does to an extent, but you don't need Ron Artest in your team to have some sort of an impact. I think that the Nets are tough enough. And, you know, I think that, you know, if... 
I think toughness needs to be shown on the, on the boards and, you know, on the offensive glass. And I think that in the preseason, you know, that's an area that we haven't shown a lot of. And I think DeAndre hopefully will provide that. And I think DeAndre can provide us that little bit of grit and such. You know, it doesn't necessarily matter. I think physicality is a general term that almost means little to, if and not anything, in today's NBA. Um, worst power forward rotation in the NBA? I don't think we're the worst. I think it's bad. Um, I think it's in the in the lower maybe one of the five or ten worst teams, but I haven't had the luxury to go through all of them. Okay, but we can just name off the top. Like, Charlotte's power... Like, their rotation is essentially the worst at everything in the NBA. Yes, and I think that the Wizards... And I think low-key a team that is very, very good because there's just so many other teams that have, like... You know, if you're looking at the, the Knicks, the Knicks might have the best power forward rotation in the NBA because they have about eight of them. Um, exactly. But, but a team that's very good that doesn't have a good power forward rotation is the Portland Trailblazers. Mm. Uh, and I think because they just don't have wings. Whereas the Nets, at least in terms of uh, uh, something at the disposal on the roster, they at least have a Rodion's chorus. They at least have a Wilson Chandler, a, a Torian Prince, these sort of guys that you can at least sort of plug in there and can play some four minutes. Whereas, who are you doing that for in Portland? You know, you've got Kent Bazemore playing up. You've got Mario Hazonia you're going to be relying on. Who has had a good preseason? And I'm always on the Hazonia experience. But um, to say that the Nets have the worst power forward rotation in the NBA, I think, again, is hyperbolic and a, a little bit exaggeratory. Um, and lack players who can score in the post. Post-scoring play is almost a forgotten art unless you're Joel Embiid and Nikola Jokic. You don't have to... I think that it, there's... Just because the Nets aren't good at every single little thing doesn't necessarily mean that it, it's uh, a, a, a glaring weakness that is going to, you know, really affect us. You know, Jared Allen, I think, has some finesse in the post. He doesn't have strength and overwhelming sort of power there in terms of relating to the physicality. I think DeAndre Jordan, looking at some of his video when I was doing some breakdowns of him, is an okay scorer in the post. And I really like him as a passer to cutters when we're speaking about slashing. DeAndre Jordan as a passer, I think, is, is really underrated. And that's one area I like with our bigs too. Uh, and yeah, I guess in terms of addressing all those weaknesses, uh, I guess that there is some validity to them. But I think that as fans, and we, you know, we want our team to be so damn good that there's just we go over the top a little bit too much. And I think when we we, we do this podcast quite regularly, Nick, we try and remain as measured as we can. We try not to let our fandom overtake us one way or another. Um, but I think that's the nature of the experience, and that's the nature of sports. And sometimes we can go over the top, and you know, that's just part of the fun. Yeah, and I think uh, pretty much echoing what you said, they may be weaknesses, but they're almost weaknesses in the entire NBA because it's not a common thing. Like you yeah. mentioned, you don't yeah. need to have a post presence. You don't need to have amazing power forwards because power forward position has essentially died other than a few guys where a lot of teams are just playing the threes at the fours. So I think uh, the weaknesses he mentioned, you know, you could make an argument they're weaknesses, but they're just not that important. Yeah, exactly. And I think if we're talking about that sort of thing, then, yeah, you can speak about it for 25, 26, 27, 28 other teams in, in general. Um, but I guess we'll get to this, some of the other weaknesses, Nick. And uh, BK, born and raised, pick and roll defense, like we mentioned, especially guarding the bigs off the pick and roll, uh, interior defense, forcing turnovers and lack of fast breaks and blowing out opposing teams. I think we've spoken about a lot of them. Lack of fast breaks, I think, will be addressed. But blowing out opposing teams, does that, you know, um, concern you at all? I think you couldn't really expect that last year. It was too young of a team that finally had its first success where this team has a little bit more growth. They have more veterans that have won and they'll be able to kind of put in the kill shot where last year, it's just the situation they weren't in. They weren't used to winning. Like they had trouble holding leads at times because they were used to always being down and trying to come back. Yeah. And I think that if we do get to that point where, you know, we have 
some splashy 40-point quarters here and there, and we're allowed to rest our sort of guys. I think it's really going to play into it. So um, I'm hoping that that isn't going to be a weakness heading into the season. But um, in that sort of sense, we'll, we shall have to wait and see. Uh, Rike says that length is probably the weakness. Hopefully, Claxton can develop quickly and be a rotation guy. Uh, the Nets need his skill set. It's an interesting take. Yeah, I'm not sure if length is that big of a deal. Like, yeah, Kyrie's not super long. Joe Harris isn't super long. But you'd say Karis LeVert has a good wingspan. You'd say Torian Prince has a good wingspan. you say Rodion's has a good wingspan. David Nwaba. Yeah, Seven DeAndre. Seven for a six-foot-five guy. I think it still just, like, bewilders me. It's amazing. And uh, Jared Allen, a good wingspan. I mean, there's a couple guys that aren't, like, Garrett Temple's not overly long or anything like that. But I don't think he's, like, short. And then also, like I mentioned, uh, Kyrie and Joe Harris, not super lanky. But... I don't think length is a huge issue unless you're talking more about the bigs. But at the end of the day, we've kind of hinted at this. Like, there's just not a ton of teams that are going to play a true four. You know, you're going to have the Pacers, maybe the Pistons, a few other teams. But most teams are going to play a small ball lineup. Yeah, exactly. Um, and getting to some some other sort of ones, Enoch Davey, health, bulk, roster overhaul, and expectations. See, I like how he's termed... I guess the sort of how people are sort of talking about physicality and such bulk. I think the Nets are a trim sort of team in that sort of aspect of the game, but it doesn't necessarily like you know affect us in a, in a horrible way. You know, we don't have any big sort of bruising guys. I think John J. Jordan, when you look at him, that guy is just like a, a physical. He's a big dude. He's got some bulk to him. Um, but yeah, I think that you know we look at Karis Avert, we look at Rodion's Kuritz. You know, these sort of guys are trim, and I think that it's reflected in their games. It doesn't necessarily make them bad, but it's already sort of seeing you know moments from them. We know Karis Avert can finish through contact. We know he is incredibly strong. Rodion's looks to have made an improvement in terms of his strength. Hopefully, Jared Allen continues to do that as well. But um, I think a lot of the the weaknesses that we're talking about are sort of overlapping, and uh, I think that they are all sort of um, credible in in terms of what people are sort of saying too. Yeah, no, and I think the bulk is a better way to say than physicality. Like, they're just yeah. not a heavy team. Yeah. They don't have the girth yeah. if you're battling, you know, bigger teams. But in terms of, like, length and size, they're okay. It, like, more so is, like, the rebounding. Like, if a guy's physically stronger than you, it's just harder to box him out. And that could be a case at certain points. Yeah, and I will play devil's advocate to the point you made, Nick, about the fact that the small ball um, seems to be the trend in the NBA. It's also, in terms of a lot of teams, it seems to be trending the other direction. If you look at a team that we're going to be coming up in our own division quite consistently in the Philadelphia 76ers, the weakness that we've spoken about in terms of that bulk and that sort of size, it could certainly come back to haunt us. But at the same time, we have when we've versed them in the regular season, our guards have really sort of shone out against them. Carlos Verdes had some really good games, uh, as has Spencer Dinwiddie. So that guard rotation could almost, you know, what is it? Is it the strength of the Nets that's going to override the, the strength of the of the Sixers? Uh, it's going to be you know, a fascinating sort of thing to watch. And you look at, obviously, uh, with the Lakers as well, having a guy like Anthony Davis, you know, Dwight Howard and JaVale McGee. I think it's just about what your roster has at your disposal and how you execute compared to how the other team executes on the night. And I think you brought up pace earlier. And if you're a, a you know a slimmer team, a fast team, you want to play at a higher pace and you want to yeah. slow down these big guys. And this is going to make everything difficult for them. So I think it is important for the Nets to rebound well so they can get on in transition. Yeah, definitely. And I guess we'll get to the last one. And basketball never stops. Has a, a bit of a funny weakness to end it, but he's got one star interior defense attendance parentheses according to Knicks fans. <laughs> <That's hard. laughs> Uh, I mean, by ticket prices, it seems like attendance is going to be fine this year. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm all about that. And, you know, we touched on interior defense. And I don't think the initial interior defense is that bad. It's just the secondary help. 
And some of that I have to think is the Nets defensive scheme because they don't want to give up corner threes. So sometimes they're a little reluctant to come off their man and help with that weak side help. Yeah, exactly. So I think we'll we'll, we'll see how all, all these weaknesses and if we can sort of nullify them to an extent throughout the season. But I don't think that they're that overbearing that we, you know, they're going to haunt us throughout the season. They're going to be things that we're going to need to address, you know, with, with system changes and such. I think that there are things that can be addressed and every team has weaknesses. You know, I think that the Nets have a lot of strengths in good areas and in areas that are, are positive to, to winning basketball. Yeah, and I think like really the biggest weakness would be it's just a lot of new guys, and they all have to kind of gel quickly because there are expectations here. But enough about strength and weaknesses. Let's get to some predictions. Jack, how many games are the Nets win this season? Uh, I'm going 46. 46. I got to stay true. I already made a prediction on the outlet, so I got to keep it the same. I'm going with 50 here. Obviously a little optimistic, but I always like to be the optimistic one here. Now, playoff results. What is going to happen in the playoffs, Jack? And what seed are they going to land? Yeah, I'm going with the fifth seed. Um, doing my, I, I did my seeding predictions for uh, JBT throughout the week, and sort of, I, I, I toed and froed with, you know, I think that we spoke about um, on the outlet preview with Corey about the the three seeders up for grabs when you look at the Raptors, when you look at the Pacers, when you look at the Celtics. Um, and despite the fact that I did do an article for OTGBasketball.com on the Brooklyn Nets having a, a fairly legitimate case to get that three seed, I think that, like you said, Nick, in terms of that weakness, in terms of the roster overhaul, there could be some time that it takes for us to gel. Uh, and there could be some time with the jet lag and, and the issues from China that could, you know, uh, cause us a few uh, a few early season losses that we'd, the Nets would normally sort of get um, compared to last season. So for me, that's an area that I think is going to mean, but when we're jockeying for that sort of third spot, that I think that we're going to be left with that sort of around that four to six sort of range. Um, not to say that you know if the Nets get fifty wins, that they've got that, that third seed locked in. Um, but, you know, I'm the pessimist of the pot, as they say, with that, that alliteration. Yeah, I think I'll go with they'll be competing for the third and fourth seed. I think most likely they might end up with the fourth seed because you mentioned there could be some issues with, you know, getting all these guys to get on the same page and then dealing with a couple losses maybe from China. And then who knows, maybe one of these other teams are really going to take off. But the three seed is really up for grabs. Like after the Bucks and Sixers, there's just not any guarantees in the East. No, there isn't, and I think that that's an exciting thing. Um, I think that in in general, the the season ahead of us, you know, it can't come soon enough. You know, in literally over one in eight days' time, I'm going to be on a plane and heading over, and hopefully booking my seat soon for those uh, those games: the Pacers game, the Rockets game, the Pelicans game. If anyone would like to donate to me, maybe I should start a <laughs> GoFundMe. Um, I'll be over there very soon if you want to catch some games. We're doing some fun things. I know Nick's uh, got some ideas in mind. If you guys want to catch up with us, you know, grab a beer. I don't drink beer, but I'll, I'll drink them if you guys shout me again. <laughs> uh, but you know, I'm just incredibly excited to, to head back over. It's always, every single year, I try and get over to Nets games. And uh, this is this is a season where I'm, I'm just buzzing. Like Literally, my phone background right now is a photo that I took last time when we were there. Nick, it's got you know, D'Angelo Russell. It's just at Barclays Center, the, the crowd there. Um, and I, I need to update it. So I need to get a new one. I need to get Kyrie on there. I need to get Karras. I need to get DeAndre. Um, I'm absolutely buzzing, for lack of a better term. Um, I'm really excited. Yeah, no, it is an exciting season. It just comes with the growth we've seen from this team, the different expectations. And talking about that, Jack, what's going to be the result after they land that possibly, you said, the fifth seed? What are they going to do in the playoffs? 
Yeah, I think that the Nets probably take a series to, to six minimum games, and I think seven games, and I think that that's an area. Um, uh, it depends on the matchup. If the Nets were to get a Pacers, I would be pretty confident, but if the Nets were to get, say, a Celtics or a Raptors, then I would be less confident in, in that sort of regard. But I think the Nets have the potential to win a series. It depends on home court. It depends on the specific matchup. Um, so I'm leaning as like a minimum that they get a six-game series, and as a maximum, they were to take a series. Yeah, I think they can definitely take a series. I feel pretty confident against them in most teams because the real concern is this team gelling. By the time it's the end of the season, we're going to see a lot of players improve. Like, that's just Ben Kenny's, you know, past seasons. Guys are taking jumps throughout the year. So I feel pretty confident about beating those teams, including Boston, Indiana, and Toronto. I think Toronto obviously has the experience, but they don't necessarily have the scores, and everyone's going to kind of pick up that defense in the playoffs. But that's for a whole other day. What would your playoffs results be if, let's say, we see Kevin Durant return the first week of March? Yeah, this one is where it gets it gets tricky, Nick, because if you add Kevin Durant even at a 80% capability, it transforms your team uh, in so many different ways. If, the, if we were to get back, then I think the Nets could win one or two series because you have if you have two stars on your roster, even you know not necessarily you know 100% stars, then it transforms. Uh, your ceiling uh, as a, as a team, so I think the Nets could easily get two two series if that were to be the case. Obviously, if it were against the Sixers or the Bucks, it would be a little bit trickier. But you're adding in one of the best players we've seen in the past, maybe even ever. He's easily a top fifteen player of all time, one of the best scorers and one of the best offensive players in the history of the game. And his defense, you know, really took a, a nice jump in, in Golden State too. Um, we've spoken about. At plenty of times when we're doing sort of previews in, in relation to, you know, episodes of, of the buzz before about, you know, Kevin Durant coming back. Um, I've got it as a sort of storyline sort of thing on my JVT preview that, you know, Kevin Durant could come back sort of piggybacking off, me, off you. We heard Kyrie sort of say when he comes back, he didn't necessarily rule things out. I think Kyrie's relatively confident, but he also did say at the same time that we wouldn't, I wouldn't let that sort of happen, what happened to him in Golden State as well. So the conservative nature of the Brooklyn Nets, and we heard Sean Marks speak about it as well in terms of how excited and how, again, we have the Brooklyn buzz. So we're going to use the word buzzing a lot. If you don't like it, unsubscribe to us on iTunes. No, don't it's on our t-shirts. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Subscribe a million times and tell all your friends. Um, but yeah, Sean Marks and, and the, the, whenever they see him, whenever he's taking shots, whenever he's speaking, you know, he was at the the game last night, um, and it was it was a, a fun moment to sort of see Kyrie just sit next to him um, at the uh, on the sidelines. You know, it's buzzing when Kevin Durant is around the Brooklyn Nets organization. Yeah, one hundred percent. And I feel like if he is back, the Nets could make the Eastern Conference playoffs. And depending on how healthy he is. Maybe they could get into the finals. That would be, you know, an obviously situation where KD is getting closer to 90% instead of 80%. But, you you know, you can't rule it out as a possibility with the amount of talent they'll have when he returns. Now, I guess another prediction, will KD play this year? It's just simple yes or no. It is a no for me. It is a yes for me. That's why we're the yin and the yang. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, I actually was at a wedding and I was explaining the Achilles theory to people and they were amazed. They're like, why doesn't ESPN talk about this? Don't ask Mine me. Mind-blown GIF. Uh, I love it when... I, I always love saying mind-blown GIF because it's like whenever like I get to use GIFs... GIF use is one of my favorite things and it's always one of my biggest frustrations having an audio platform yeah. that we can't do it. Like if, if we ever... If the buzz ever gets big enough, then uh, expect, pl expect plenty of GIF use, my friends. But yeah, I think that the Kevin Durant thing, it's going to be a lingering storyline no matter what because when you have a star on the roster... 
Um, he's going to be jumping in the mentions, you know, in his as well. He's having a bit of fun, you know, the mid-range game. You know, how much credence does it have in the modern NBA? Um, I'm just really excited to everything. I'm, I'm more than likely going to get a KD jumper jersey than I am going to get a Kyrie one. I still need to get a Joe Harris one because they always seem to be sold out. When we went to, like, the, the swag shop, they never seem to have Joe Harris merch. I might have to book one and get it sent to my Airbnb or hotel ahead of time so I can get them before they sell out because they sell like hotcakes. Yeah, I definitely am going to get a Kevin Durant jersey, and I might buy a Kyrie. I can't remember the last time I bought two jerseys in one year, but that's the type of offseason the Nets had. And just to end this with some random fun, Jack, what are we going to do? Yeah, so we were sort of chatting about what could we make the random fun end with. And I think we've done this before. Uh, I remember, I'm pretty sure last year when we were doing Song of Choice and when it was sort of random fun, I picked High Hopes mm. um, by Panic at the Disco. And, you know, it ended up being pretty it was well. A good, I, a good fit, yeah. It, it fit pretty well. Um, I'm picking a, a different sort of tune this year, obviously. I'm picking... Uh, a Jamie XX and Young Thug song. I know there's going to be good times. Um, oh, very fun good. song. Very fun song. Um, and I'm hoping that there are plenty of good times and more good times than bad times in the 2019-20 season. And I went with a Drake classic, started from the bottom. Obviously, Ooh. it explained itself. We were at the bottom, worst franchise in the NBA. Now we're looking like we're one of the best. ESPN, I think, in the future power rankings had us top three. So that tells you everything you need to know about the Nets and Sean Marks. Definitely. Um, and I think that's a, a nice little comparison as well. You know, I think that on the outlet, you got you guys have been... How many? How do you figure out how to do 30 TV shows? For those that aren't subscribed, you know, subscribe to all the OTG pods, Full Access Hoops, NBA Outlet, Just Ball Things, Heat is Gonna Heat, and every single other thing that is content done on OTGBasketball.com. But how do you figure out 30 teams? Like, we had to do one song, and it was hard enough for me to just, like, figure out one song for the Brooklyn Nets. And, one, and I've done, like, two or three previews, and it was tricky for me. 30 television shows. How do you do it, mate? Mate, I'm going to tell you that I almost texted you before this and said, hey, Jack, I don't have a song. It just randomly <laughs> hit me. <laughs> I literally was going to be like, Jack, I'm going to just pass it to you for this last segment because I can't think of anything. But uh, the TV shows, when I tell you, you know, Jack mentioned the outlet is our previous series. We're doing all 30 teams. The first question is, what emoji summarizes last season? Last question is, TV show comparison for this season? By far the two hardest questions on the entire show. And I'll yeah. tell you straight up, I spend more time looking at emojis and TV shows going through <laughs> my recently watched on Hulu and Netflix trying to figure it out. It's tough, but after, you know, we've done this for a while, you got to just pace yourself because you, you have it. You want to use these shows that are fresh in your head, but you got to do back and do some research. Yeah, I'm lucky that we're in the golden age of television and, True. you know, I, iOS is already always updating the emojis. So there's always something new and Hopefully by the 2020, 2021 season, there'll be some new shows. That makes it that little bit easier for you. And hopefully there's some new songs that we can compare. It'll be interesting to see at the end of this season, you know, there's going to be so many different transformations. You know, who would have thought that, you know, at the start of the season, before the season even started, we would have the biggest story probably in NBA history upon us with the, the China and the geopolitical nature that's happening with the NBA. And it's already affecting the Brooklyn Nets. And I think that that's one area where probably we... Because we don't have the the informed nature that we probably want to go into it and dive deep into it, I did a little bit on JBT, but having you know Joseph side uh, as our owner, and we've already sort of seen that already. You know how that affects the Brooklyn Nets organization and the NBA as a whole. The talk of the salary cap and such—it's um, a fascinating story. And I remember 
I can't remember who it was that said it, but I think it's a good thing that this has come out for the NBA in general. I know we're speaking a bit more broadly, but it does pertain to the Brooklyn Nets because you know you want to be more informed on these sort of issues. You know, when Kyrie was sort of speaking about it, you know, the when if something comes out and it affects my core values of you know freedom, you know, independence and inner peace, all that sort of stuff, then I'm going to want to be informed about it. And I think that you there's never a bad time to be informed about the the things that are happening in the world. Um, even if it is a, a little bit of a tricky situation to sort of tread into and it can obviously be fraught with sort of danger in terms of you say one wrong thing, you know, you can be crucified for it. And Joseph Tsai, obviously being the head of NBA China or the president or yeah. whatever it is, has a big impact on it too. And this is, you know, a big year for him now being the, what is it, the governor of the Nets. Yep. They're going to have a big decision to come offseason. You know, they need to have a successful year because he's going to have to empty those pockets because they're going to have to go probably into the luxury tax to re-sign a guy like Joe Harris and to give Torian Prince his proper extension. Then you're looking at Jared Allen down the line. So there's going to be some question marks, and obviously some of those are related to him, but they're more so after the season. Yeah, they certainly are. I guess ownership and, and governorship is always a thing in the background. You know, you look at Tillman Fertitta right now. You know, he's the overbearing storyline of what's happening in Houston and not necessarily the most positive thing. Did you, and I, I know that this is, you know, we get off tangent a little bit, but, you know, it's been a while since we've chatted. Did you see the murals at the Houston Rockets um, training facility or their, their home, home court? I have not. So there's like a mural and obviously, you know, the Brooklyn Nets murals, we spoke about them. You know, it's like Toy and Prince doing the muscles. Um, it's Jared Allen with the block. <laughs> the yeah. murals at the Houston Rockets um, feature obviously the players and, and, and Mike D'Antoni, but there are two large, prominent photos of Tillman Fertitta that probably dominate it, and it just shows to you what is happening there. And you know, I weird. think a lot of a lot of people say ownership is the biggest advantage, and our ownership I've always been relatively comfortable with. We spoke about Mikhail Prokop at length in other previous pods. Guys, we've, we've spoken about everything that's happened to the Brooklyn Nets in the last. You know, if you want to catch up on anything. Um, in the preseason that has happened, check out the previous sort of episodes because there is so much content that can, um, you know, salivate you until, you know, the, the Brooklyn Nets kick off against the Minnesota Timberwolves in just a few days. Exactly. And we've probably dropped more Brooklyn Buzz offseason pods this year than we almost have in the last two years combined. But, Jack, always a pleasure talking Nets. And obviously, we're getting ready for the season and we're going to be giving you re game recaps after every game, squeezing in some other stuff, giveaways, and all that fun stuff. But, like I said, Jack, always a pleasure. Thank you, everybody, for listening. You can find us on iTunes, Blog Talk Radio, OGGBasketball.com, NetsRepublic.com, Google Play, Dash Radio, and YouTube. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming. And his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.